Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise McSharry. I hope you are well. I hope you have had a good week. If you haven't had a good week, that's okay. They can't all be good, my friends. I've had a hectic week, actually, now that I think about it. I was in Limerick for the live show, um, which you heard a little bit about last week. Then I had my birthday on Saturday. I turned 41. Yes, that's right. I am 41. I'm, I, it's kind of a weird one. 40, I was fine with. 41, I'm kind of like, I'm still fine, but I'm like, it's a, it, it feels different. Um, but sure, look, am I lucky to be alive? That's the main focus currently. Am I lucky to be alive? I am. Um, other than that, I'm in London currently. As I speak, there's a building going outside, on outside the hotel room. So I hope you're not hearing that. If you are, I apologize. Um, I came here to visit the Real Housewives townhouse in London with Heyu uh, last night, which was fun. They set up a little Housewives-themed house in central London, uh, which obviously... I love and they had like housewives quotes all over the walls and photographs and you could film your own tagline like really good fun um but uh yeah that's kind of I guess what I've been up to over the course of the week that's enough says you uh that is enough I agree um we've got a great episode coming up for you we are going to kick off with the news as always, uh, there is a new Patreon episode. The culture episode this month is uh, myself and Laura DeBarra talking about the David Beckham documentary on Netflix. And actually, I had a last minute cancellation, cancellation, excuse me, not cancellation, cancellation in the interview slot this week, which meant that I was left to the gap. So I thought... I would bring you a little chunk of that episode uh, for you to enjoy if you're not a Patreon um, and you can get a feel for what we kind of do um, in that monthly episode where we talk about a piece of culture. Um, so that's in the middle. And then at the end, myself and James O'Hagan have a great laugh talking about the week's celebrity stories. So stick around. But first, let's chat to Carl Kinsler about the week's news. Well, Carl, um, first of all, just to say I'm in a hotel room in London which is one of those, you know, when hotels decide to like have a personality, I'm in one of those. So like behind me is this stunning spray painted 
to headboard, um, which has September ends sprayed on it because this hotel room doesn't use numbers. It just uses names, which means that when you arrive, you have to be escorted to your room because they do give you a room number, but the number does not appear on your room. So the room that I'm in is September ends, a little nod to Green Day. Um, but the reason that I mention it is because building work has just started outside my window as I logged on. So you may or may not hear some background noise, my friends. Um, last week, a hotel in Limerick. This week, a hotel in London. I'm just so glamorous. I mean, I can't help it. That's. I would say even if there is noise going on in the background, I would say the opulence of the headboard behind <laughs> you is worth it. It's like it's it's like gilded. It's <laughs> it's, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, it's cra- it's crazy. Let's be real. It is insane. And there is a full wall of like concrete here. Like I wish I could show you the whole room because it is. It, it's just yeah. It's not for me. I'm happy to be here. It's not for they me. Have some more Green Day decorations to fit. Uh, <laughs> if they should, you know, kid it, they should make it the Green Day room. Well, yeah, because I was in my friend's room last night, and it's just the exact same, but it just has a different thing spray painted on the headboard. So, like, not Green Day related at all. Just n- no. Just, so, like, if you're gonna do it, like, I feel like you need to lean in harder. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, we've got a lot to talk about because obviously we're going to review the news as always. Um, And we actually need to start with a story that's kind of happening at the moment. And this is a shooting in Maine. Yeah, very disturbing. And as you say, ongoing. So it's it's there is a, I suppose, an active shooter, not an active shooter situation, but the gunman is still at large. Yeah. Uh, Very tragically and very horrifically, 22 people have been reported dead in the state of Maine, which is in the northeast of the United States. Um. And the gunman, who appears to be a man by the name of Robert Card, uh, is still at large, which obviously makes this all the more disturbing. Obviously, we get a lot of reports from the United States about mass shootings. Yeah. I think typically by the time the news tends to land in Ireland, there has been some resolution. Yeah. Uh, so it's quite disturbing. I, I think I, I woke up in the middle of the night and saw a bit of this. So I obviously expected when I went back to sleep, I expected by the time I woke up that it would be done with. Carl, um, sorry, are you waking up in the middle of the night and checking the news? I I saw it's push notifications. You know, it's okay. It's, it's, it's I don't I don't. Thankfully, I'm not that kind of person. I'm probably just the the step below that kind of person. Okay. I was going to say, please don't do that. Just for your your mental health. Bush notifications. And I mean, this is it being, being a news journalist. You got it. There's no, you can't unplug. You always be on the lookout. Um, But yeah, so this is obviously a very, a very concerning story. It remains to be seen whether there's any kind of further violent developments. But as of now, the main department of public safety and their police are just, it's a manhunt situation. Um, like how absolutely terrifying like in a statement on X I refuse to call it X Twitter police told residents please stay inside your homes with the doors locked like I can't even imagine what that would be like I honestly don't like someone asked me during the week would I ever like do I regret or like am I upset that my family moved away from America because we obviously lived there for 10 years of my childhood and I was like no I, I could not raise kids in America knowing that this kind of shooting is kind of, I mean, it's not normal, but like it's common. And yeah, it's just absolutely awful. Well, that's it. Like, as as you say, it's not necessarily normal, but there are many countries where this virtually never happens. You know, Ireland being one of them. Yeah. Uh, So it is just, it's always so disturbing to see it unfold. And this one, I suppose, especially disturbing because it seems as though, 
this man has not yet been apprehended. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it took place at a bowling alley, which, you know, it just kind of adds to, I feel like that always adds to the horror of these stories. That they yeah. always seem to take place in such mundane places. Yeah. Um, it yeah. just, it, you think that, oh, it, it is it is just awful. But that's that's the current status of yeah. the situation. Is he's, uh, obviously, that could change. You know, we're recording this yeah. Thursday. Yeah. I presume it'll be, yeah, somewhat resolved um, by the time you're listening tomorrow. But, you know, there's a lot of information already out there about this person um, who's accused of this shooting and quite clear photographs like of him actually at the bowling alley or around the bowling alley. It's um, it's really disturbing. Unfortunately, the next story that we have to move on to is equally, if not more disturbing, and that is the ongoing um, bombardment of Gaza. Yeah, this is obviously at this point, we're at a situation where uh, the Palestinian authorities say that that over 6,000 Palestinians have now been killed in the Israeli airstrikes, uh, which have been taking place since October 7th. So it's um, obviously there's been no de-escalation. There's been no ceasefire. There's, you know, the only sort of not not mitigation at all, but the only kind of step that we expected to have taken place by now that hasn't taken place is the ground invasion. Yeah. Um, has been sort of delayed, I think, at the sort of behest of Joe Biden, Emmanuel Macron, other world leaders are really pressing Israel to not go through with this grand invasion. Um, it's been over two weeks now, and it does sort of feel like Israel is constantly hinting that it's about to embark on this grand invasion. Obviously, what they would say is the reason behind the grand invasion is there are still hostages being held after the October 7th attack. So mm. but there there are reports online that 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 sort of that Hamas have tried to broker an agreement to release certain hostages and they have released some hostages but that Israel don't want to engage too much in this because it would get in the way of the ground invasion which obviously just seems totally backwards yeah but obviously what Israel very explicitly want to do is wipe out Hamas um that's what they've that's what what they've said that's their official line Mm. you know things more unofficially if you look at the scale and the devastation that the airstrikes have have sort of rained down on Gaza you would be sort of forgiven for thinking that the aim is to basically reduce Gaza to nothing yeah um, the official line is that they're out to reduce to to remove Hamas sort of from the equation and uh that's going to they're going to certainly there's going if if Israel if Israel has its way there's going to be a ground invasion mm. if Joe kind of pull the strings and you know israel relies very heavily on the international community for aid and for military spending so if there are strings that could be pulled maybe it won't happen but that is obviously the intention of israel right now but yeah it hasn't happened yet um hospitals at this point are they say ceasing to function they're running out of water they're running out of fuel obviously lots of them have been damaged um i, I the numbers of children who have died it is absolutely heartbreaking like we are well over a thousand close to two thousand if not there um and the thing that i think is interesting about this feels terrible to say interesting but it has been interesting to see lots of international um I suppose mainly American Jewish people who maybe like I saw a girl on TikTok this morning who said like I went on Birthright. If you're not aware of this, even just the name of it is disturbing. But Birthright is like a trip, an Israeli funded trip that um, mainly American Jews go on to visit Israel, to kind of see Israel and to encourage them to go and live in Israel because it is their birthright um 
And uh, I saw this girl this morning. I said, I went on birthright. I was raised by a Zionist family. Like I, you know, have my entire life, I have believed in kind of Israel and I have supported Israel. And she said, but then when this started happening, she was like, what? she couldn't understand why so many people were supporting what who she saw as terrorists. She was raised to believe the Palestinians were terrorists and that was it. So she's, yeah. she really was struggling with why are so many people supporting terrorists air quotes why are people that i usually agree with supporting terrorists air quotes and why are people who i don't normally agree with why are far right people people i know to be anti-semitic why are they supporting israel and like really having you know the blinkers taken off or that that kind of culture that she was raised in removed so like this continued operation by Israel, I feel like it's just constantly losing them support. So you kind of have to wonder where are things going to land at the end of this? That's, it's it's something that over the last couple of weeks, I find usually when there's sort of international outcry or international attention towards one situation, you can really tell what the dominant sentiment is. Yeah. Where like this has been so much more fluid, so much more confusing. It sounds like world leaders don't really have their ducks in a row when it comes to how they are going to respond to this. And and I, I feel like the reason is sort of staring us right in the face in that Israel for so long has been an ally of these other Western countries. Yeah. But now we are watching these atrocities unfold. We there is no way to escape the bloodshed and the gruesomeness and the horror that comes as a result of these airstrikes and as a result of cutting off things like water and electricity. So I think the there's a lot of people right now in the world who are being faced with a, a very a choice that I think they would rather not have to face, which is kind of continuing with their support of Israel in the sense that it's a Western ally in mm. that region or facing up to like all these principles and values that supposedly you know, these countries believe in like yeah. human rights and, and like, you know, safety for children. Mm. Um, it's been a very a weird week for Ireland. There was a, an Israeli diplomat based in Ireland, based in the Israeli mission to Ireland in, in the embassy, who, who wrote a tweet that said, Ireland wondering who funded those tunnels of terror, a short investigation direction, one, find a mirror, two, direct it to yourself, three, voila. So this is a, a woman, Adi Mayoz, um, who is an Israeli diplomat, who seems to in this case, this tweet has been deleted, but she essentially just accused Ireland, either officially or unofficially, she wasn't clear, of funding Hamas, which is wild. You know, just it's and, and as you say, when it comes to Israel kind of losing supporters, like if anything is going to disposition people poorly towards your argument, it's, you know, these absolutely baseless, wild accusations. You know, like I think Leo Varadkar, it's, it's been said a couple of times that he's been pretty tough. Mm. Uh, out the last couple of weeks in terms of pushing back against this narrative that Israel has the right to sort of do whatever it wants to defend itself, yeah. uh, quote unquote, defend itself. Um, but I, I think like he's he, they've gone even further with this. And Leo Varadkar was very strong in his response and just said it was, you know, a ludicrous mm. thing to, uh, to suggest. And, mm. and it, it is it really is just. And it, it just goes to show, I guess, the the ongoing fracture between what Israel is doing and with what the rest of the world can really condone and, yeah. and, and sit on the fence. But it's at the same time, like I say, it's hard to really know which way the wind is blowing because ultimately the responses from world leaders around the rest of the world, it, it's been very tepid. Nobody is really stepping in. Mm. Uh, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, has been strong and he, is, he has called repeatedly for a ceasefire. Um, but I mean, we don't have a ceasefire. So no. I, 
you know, it's there's really been it hasn't been a successful moment for the sort of international community at large because it's been an abject failure in terms of brokering any sort of peace. Yeah. And the killings continue. So yeah. it's, it's kind of nightmarish. Yeah. I mean, I suppose all we can do is hope that next week we'll be telling a different story, but certainly not feeling like it at the moment. OK, let's move on because there was massive weather in Ireland this week and in other countries as well. But like, you know, the flooding that we saw in Ireland was pretty extreme. I mean, some of the videos coming out of Middleton, say, in Cork were surprising. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know, I wonder, so I'm from Dublin, I wonder sometimes am I naive, for, and not only am I from Dublin, but I'm from the mountains. So <laughs> I've, I've always been safe from, like, flooding has never been an issue. Yeah. Um, so I always feel quite naive when I see, because this has happened in Middleton before, specifically Middleton, mm-hmm. you know, parts of Ireland do flood, but I think Middleton, where it is in Cork, is particularly susceptible. I think it's only a couple of metres above sea level, so yeah. there's rivers, so there's just, it's it's just kind of a nightmare situation. And yeah, businesses, homes, all destroyed. Um, I think originally the government, the scheme that was kind of put out to aid these houses was worth five grand and then they could apply for another 20 grand at a later date. But it's being discussed today. Uh, you know, obviously we have quite a lot of Cork, sort of a lot of Cork power in 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 the government. So Simon Coveney is kind of pushing for this. Yeah. Um, these businesses should, should get more and the, the 70,000 has been thrown about. And it just goes to show, it, it kind of proves that old phrase of, um, you know, people talk about like, oh, the cost of fighting climate change is so high. But like, well, what's the cost of not fighting climate change? Yeah. And I, that's what we're beginning to see now is that instead of taking proactive measures, we're taking reactive measures, which are also really expensive. You know, yeah. if you're talking about 70,000 per business, you know, it's, it's a huge. And, you know, this is ultimately the result of a storm of rain. Ireland we're the home of storms and rain and if we're if we don't have some kind of flood defense system that works these towns then it's going to cost us an arm and a leg in waterford as well near cheek point absolutely wrecked i can only yeah i can only imagine like having your home or business destroyed by something like this i mean kids were carried out of school in kilkenny this week because the entrance to their school was completely flooded like this is devastating stuff um so if you are someone who is in that area and who was affected by it this week i mean massive commiserations and solidarity like i can't even i genuinely can't imagine because i too am from dublin and it's not something that i've ever experienced um but it's you know the videos and photographs are absolutely devastating so i can only imagine um okay then next up the citizens assembly on drugs came to a kind of conclusion so citizens assemblies are obviously to me, sometimes it feels like it's like the government's way of kicking something tricky down the road where like they're like, let's get the citizens together and let them decide about this tricky issue. And obviously drugs is an ongoing conversation and a tricky issue, uh, you know, in terms of how we deal with it as a country. Um, and the Citizens Assembly on drugs did come to its conclusion, but not without controversy. Yeah, and it's, it's, it is a funny one. As you say, people can think of the citizens assembly as kicking the can down the road we've had some great success with them obviously their recommendations in the eighth amendment it was it was fantastic and it is it's it's a really nice idea like the idea of getting a hundred citizens together and just you know over six weeks or six months you know educating them all about one particular issue and then letting them make recommendations i i really like it as an idea me too the fact is 
with drug legislation, there's no need for it. Like, there's no need for us to... So many European countries now, like EU, fellow EU countries that have sort of similar um, sort of, you know, whatever, places that we tend to be aligned with yeah. uh, in terms of policy have brought in progressive drug legislation and it has worked. The best mm. example is Portugal. Portugal decriminalized drugs about 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, deaths have decreased. Addiction have, has decreased. So what we have, what the result of our Citizens Assembly was really much more scaled back than that. It was a recommendation that we change the status quo, which is obviously very vague. Yeah. Um, it could mean a lot of things. In this case, it means what will probably happen is a quasi decriminalization of just cannabis mm. and, and what that will probably take. So obviously there's no specifics to this. The government has to consider these recommendations. The government will then devise a policy to sort of implement the spirit of the recommendations. We don't have like details as to mm. what that would look like. But what this probably would, would look something like, you know, a few, not, like if you get caught with, cannabis a couple of times mm. um, probably going to be put in a diversionary program some kind of health program or some kind of mental health program where i guess the goal is to just get you to stop using cannabis if you're caught with cannabis then multiple times i think there's still probably criminalization is probably on the table criminal charges would still be on the like table. let's so, be honest this is nothing like you know we have got you know many states in america where cannabis is completely legal and properly regulated you've got countries within the eu where it's completely legal so so like all if all we got out of this is more leniency and a, and a health based approach to cannabis use kind of like really it's disappointing to me anyway and i know there are a lot of people who feel the same there's a sort of there was a general recommendation that came out of it of, of an overall health-led approach but i think what concerns people in that regard is that the government says it already has a health-led approach. Like, as far as the government is concerned, yeah. they have a health-led approach, yeah. which is not really, it's not what you would call, well, not what a lot of countries would call a health-led approach, because the fact is we have a very clear distinction between sort of, we, we make a distinction between, uh, or at least Simon Harris has said when he was Minister for Justice or Acting Minister for Justice, he said there was a very clear distinction between people who are in addiction yeah. and people who are recreational users. I, the, I don't think expertise or anything would bear that out because obviously it's just it's a, it's a slope it's, and it's fluid. Yeah. Someone could be an addict for six months. They could be a recreational user for the next six months. Then they yeah. could fall back to addiction. Yeah. So. The idea behind punishing these people is something that I think even the citizens, the citizens assembly, I think the general sense is that we want to do away with punishing people for interacting with drugs. Mm. But it just feels like the options available to the citizens assembly were so limited. Yeah. Um, they, there just weren't that many outcomes where they could, um, you know, like there's limited health diversion and maintaining the status quo or options. Yeah. Then we have like legalization and regulation was an option but um that's you know that's not going to happen as a result of, yeah. of this assembly so okay um we've got a few stories to get get through um so let's quickly touch on these because there's a, a couple of kind of mad ones and then a good one i picked a good one for us to finish on because it's been so bleak and it continues to be bleak but you know there are shining moments within the bleakness um first of all there's this mad story about a, a guy in cork who's has fake passports and like has an FBI record from 1970. What's the story here? 
Yeah, this is a really strange story, which has a kind of like catch me if you can vibe. There's yeah. a, a man who is, has been described in the media as a mystery man, which is obviously a fantastic way for anybody to be described. Um, but he is he's before the courts, he's before Cork District Court um, and that he is charged with providing false information to obtain passports in the names of two infants born in the 1950s who died within months of their birth. So if that sounds messy or weird, it is messy and weird, but what it means is that this man is charged with essentially building a life based on these two passports that he allegedly, you know, has no connection to. And stealing the identity of dead babies. That's that's what he's charged with. And and as you say, he's got an FBI record dating back to 1970. So as we say, this man is, he's he's before the, the courts and in the media as a mystery man. The Guardies say that with the help of Interpol, they have identified with the help of interpol like interpol the fbi like who is this person well that's it and like what has he been what's he been doing yeah yeah what's he been like supposedly like you know if he's been using these fake passports what has he been using them for you know i feel like there's a lot of questions here that we really want to we want to we want to know more about mystery man so the the names of the pass on the passports were philip morris and jeffrey warbrook or warbrook Warbrook, I'm not sure. Mm. So it's it's he's been living, I guess, under those names in Cork for some amount of time. A, a quote from from the Guardi was that we are satisfied that this man is not Philip Morris or Jeffrey Warbrook, um, which is a really like damning thing to hear said about yourself. I think in court, like I think if I was in court and a Garda got up and they were like, "We're satisfied this man is not Carl Kinsella," <laughs> I would be like, "Oh, I this is concerning." You know, <laughs> who am I? Yeah. Who is he? <laughs> And, like, the thing is, we don't know what he's done. So, like, it's hard to, like, obviously it's bad to steal the identities of ba- dead babies, like, if that's what's happened, which it seems like it is. But, like, you know, we don't know what he's been doing. So there's just this real kind of tantalizing question mark over the whole thing that makes yeah. it kind of fascinating. Anyway, we have no current answers. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a podcast, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay, the next story we want to touch on quickly is Dublin City Council are asking people to snitch when it comes to bonfires. Yeah, I find this I find this really funny. Obviously, bonfires can be dangerous, but I, I would never snitch on someone for... for How do you feel about this? I would, So the people are being asked by Dublin City Council to report if you see anyone gathering materials for a bonfire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't, I would never, I would never snitch. Well, I'm just kind of like, what are they going to do? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I assume bonfire enforcement is pretty difficult, to be honest. You know, like I, and and even if you rock up to someone's house and you're like, you're gathering material for a bonfire. What if you were just like, well, this is my private stash of pallets and flammables. You know, I yeah. maybe I just use, I just like to keep these around. But yeah, supposedly last year they got about 480 complaints about people gathering bonfires and i get it like obviously there are some situations where you know and bonfires are illegal you yeah. know i should i should you know to cover my own yeah to cover my places i should say that but like you know i i just think yeah bonfires no, i'm not saying let i'm not saying let people have their bonfires but i'm just <laughs> aren't you <laughs> i'm not gonna call dublin city council to start the bonfire. i just think it's always interesting when they ask when people are asked to snitch on other people particularly like their neighbors like it reminds me of pandemic days when we were all supposed to be reporting our neighbors who were like outside for more time than they were supposed to be or like talking to someone for too long or whatever it just never feels right i feel like as irish people we're kind of like i'm not a snitch it's just not something i'm willing to do 
I think it's so funny because obviously like they're asking sort of in good faith and they're asking yeah. in terms of like trying to like, you know, help public order and keep people safe. Yeah. But it was still just like, nah, I'm, I'm not a snitch. <laughs> I'm not, you know, it's like, it's, it's as simple as that. Okay. Find somebody else. And to finish on a good note, Donegal is a winner. They have been named as uh, the fourth best region in the world to visit in 2024 by Lonely Planet. Isn't fourth, isn't region a funny way to phrase it? Fourth best region? I thought that was weird. I just think also, like, I mean, it is exciting, but like, you know, there's something so beautiful about being excited about being the fourth best at something. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and it's, I, I'm going to have, I have a confession, I've never actually been to Donegal. What? So I, yeah, I've never been, I've never set foot in Donegal, so I can't comment. Carl! Yeah, I know. I, I'm I just, shocked. Donegal I'm, is stunning. I've heard great things, which I, even that sounds so ridiculous to say, like as if, like, I have, I should, I should, I should go to Donegal. Well, in I fairness, should, there's no I'm train like, there, so it's, that's they it. don't make that's it easy it. on us. Supposedly. Or the people of Donegal, obviously, sorry. It's probably part of Lonely Planet's thing but apparently the descent into Donegal airport mm-hmm. is the most beautiful descent into any airport ever but the issue obviously like to fly from Dublin to Donegal that's a bit you know yeah it's carbon footprinty for my for my you know so <laughs> once they bring in a train I'll go to Donegal yeah but I mean the thing is it's, <laughs> it's really not that much of a drive like you could totally yeah, drive yeah. there Carl someone will give me a lift <laughs> if one of the listeners wants to give me a lift to Donegal I'll want a hundred percent anyway it is great news and i'm sure lots of people in donegal will be delighted to hear it because it is an absolutely beautiful part of the country um and carl you need to go everybody else if you haven't been there you should go as well and the top three by the way just in case you're wondering and number one is the western balklands trans denarica cycling route uh, number two is Kangaroo Island in Australia. Number three is Tuscany, Italy, which I can vouch for. And then number four, Donegal, Ireland. Love that for us. Okay, Carl, I'm going to let you go. And um, the builders are going ham outside this window. So if you can't hear it, then that has truly been um, a, a remarkable victory for us, the podcasters. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, Carl Kinsla, um, people can find you obviously at thejournal.ie um, in your uh, Surrealing in the Years column. We will talk to you next week. As I said at the start, uh, this week, instead of a regular interview, I'm going to bring you a chunk of the Patreon culture episode. So every month I pick a piece of culture, uh, whether it's it's usually actually it has many most of the time been a documentary. It's just the way that it's gone. But we've done music, we've done books um, and there will be more more coming um, but basically take a piece of culture and discuss it with someone who is into it and passionate about it or got excited about it Lord Barra for example watched the Beckham documentary three times yes that's right three times first just to watch it second for the football uh, which frankly shocked both of us and then finally for the fashion and interiors um, so I had loads of fun talking about the documentary with her as we said we are not football people we are not coming at, at it with like any kind of interesting football angle we're just two regular girls who like Victoria Beckham and enjoy fashion uh, so if you are one of those two then hopefully you'll enjoy this so let's talk about Victoria I love her did you love her already yeah so like I I've always just liked her like I like she's like like she's I just I like I just don't know why you wouldn't like her do you yeah. know that kind of way yeah like I don't I don't see the hype in not liking her 
I do also think like sometimes with that it isn't like an undercurrent of misogyny of you know yeah. sometimes internalized misogyny and stuff like that but yeah. I I just find her funny it's so interesting to watch fashion wise very good taste mm-hmm. she's herself which I just always really respect yeah. in people if they're just you know even if other people don't like it they're just themselves yeah um, but I must say one that I was just the only thing I was disappointed in the whole documentary oh I'm ready <laughs> right and I was like because I was like why is this missing because my favorite Victoria Beckham era I think was 2003 her D&G era yeah right so this is when she had the not the teardrop implant but she had the other implants in the first ones that uh-huh. half moon shapes they were like stuck on yes right? stuck on boobs like, yeah kind of bee sting boobs which I just don't know why I just think they're the best looking implants ever <laughs> like I just I just think they look so good it was then she had the hair extensions mm-hmm. it was when she was like super 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 tanned remember it was like just like it brought like tanning to a whole other level I have a and picture of her in front of me because I think you know, I know, I think know, I know what you're going to say. Lace ups, like everything yeah. was laced up because she was doing D&G. Mm-hmm. And then they don't speak to her anymore because she started her own fashion line and they slated her in the press. And like, I was kind well, of in She's better off without them. One thousand percent. You know guys. what I mean? They yeah. were, not I'm glad she, they're not good at all. Racist, homophobic. Yeah. Anyway, that's for another time. But their D&G line ended up failing, funnily enough, right after she stopped representing it. Mm. So she was, pretty much selling it but she wore all these lace-up gowns that had all the eyelets on them um and I used to basically try and copy the outfits I used to sew at the time all my outfits were going out and she wore these gladiator boots and I I made like hand stitched these like fake leather gladiator boots wore them into a club in Cork got absolutely roasted oh my god I love it look at the state of her I was like what like does everyone not love these daddy boots one of my friends is like you literally look like you've two bin bags wrapped around your calves and I was like ah. and like string dresses and I'd be like ripping up old clothes to me I just loved the way she dressed but it's missing from the documentary that era is missing yeah they moved to Madrid and that's why oh because I was like I was really sad I would have liked just even one or two shots of them at the 2006 World Cup because this is the era of Cheryl Cole is married to Ashley Cole or maybe they're not even married at that point but they're together and there were so many photos and videos of Cheryl and Victoria at the games Colleen Rooney is there Mm -hmm. Abby Clancy Peter Crouch's wife like all of these super glamorous it was the the era of the wag and like I just yes mini skirt tiny little hot pants shorts yes exactly and I was like please why are they not giving it to us because it was so exciting to see Victoria among these other women who like you know, she was the queen bee by a million miles. Um, yeah, and to see the groups of them. Room. Yeah. And to see the groups of them together was so exciting. And I loved that, that that came through um, about Victoria. That like, you know, she said, I, I didn't need him for fame or like success. I had that. Like that wasn't what the relationship was about. You could see that they were obviously completely obsessed with each other from like day one. Yes. And they say... There's like compatibility and there's chemistry and mm. they're like different things. Like a guy can be like, I think like we're in the era of our, our lives now. We're like, you know, 10 years ago, everyone was getting married. These now, every, now everyone's getting divorced. Yeah. So like, I think like if friends were all having these conversations yes. with each other. About like, oh, such and such are having divorced. And it's kind of like, they were so compatible, but like the chemistry was in there. But like David and Victoria have, like they have chemistry. Yeah. Like, the chemistry is there it's undeniable and like she was even saying like 
that it wasn't about compatibility, like that he had money and he could, you know, like give me this great life. It, mm. She was in it for the chemistry. Yeah, she was mad about him. And I thought, I also loved how like, she was like, I don't like football. Like, she's like from the get-go, don't care. Like she went to the, she went to the match she met him at intentionally because he was going to be there. Right through yeah. the whole thing, she's like, I don't care about football, but I care about him and I love to watch him play. <laughs> like she saw some of these like unbelievably iconic football moments and Fisher Stevens is like, and that didn't get you into football? And she's like, no, yeah. but like I love him and I love to see him <laughs> play. Like she never pretended to kind of overly care about that. And then even like, you know, when she's on tour in America and all of the shit is going down at home around the 1998 World Cup and she she just isn't, she doesn't seem to really get it, which I loved. Or like the fact that she told him that she was pregnant for the first time the night before an enormous I World know. Cup match. And then was like, why wouldn't I have? Like, Right? Like Shane was like, he was saying to me, he watched a little bit with me and he was like, what would you have done? Like, and mm. I was like, well, I just wouldn't have taken the test until the next day. Like, mm. just so that it wasn't like, oh, how could I have kept it from him? I just wouldn't have done the test. I would have just been like, I'll just wait. And, you know, people are like, oh, she never really respected his career. But like, you don't know these things about someone you don't know. You yeah. have no idea if they had a pact or, if, you know, they, they were trying in a way that they were, you know, keeping in touch with the whole time. Like, you don't know, like, you could never know someone's inner workings of a relationship. No. So, like, and you think just, they were obviously in touch constantly as well because, yeah. you know, they, he said that. Like, so, yeah, you're right. You don't know. And she never, was. And you can conspiracy theory and speculate and like, you know, like, that's why I always find so funny when people are like, oh, she definitely this and she definitely that. And you're kind of like, this is really funny that you think you might actually know, but one nugget of information on this, like, for yeah. example they were actively trying and she had taken a test the day before or yeah. some we don't know you know well she was, was only 24 as well like they were and really young them, two of them both said they didn't have a lot of like pals growing up he basically didn't have a social life because his social life was football mm. and she was saying that she was in stage school and all that kind of stuff and she didn't really have much of a teenage years they were like teenage lovers yeah. that's like the boyfriend you have when you're 16 and if you had access to a jet you would take it to be with them for 15 minutes <laughs> And that's yeah. what he was doing. And you'd put their name on your license plate. Like, yeah, 100%. But yeah, she was 24. And I was thinking about when I, because the thing is, right, I've taken a few pregnancy tests in my time and I've had two positive pregnancy tests. And neither time that I took the pregnancy tests where they were positive, did I actually think that they were going to be positive. Like it was really? more, you know, the way sometimes you take a pregnancy test. Every, we all do it as women and you're like I just like to put that out of my head now that question mark in the back of my mind yeah just tell me I'm late so I can yeah and then I can move on with my life the first pregnancy test I took the first positive one I took in work because I had one in my drawer from like another time and I was like oh I'll just take this now and it, I was working nights at the time I was like would you on 8 to 10 and 2 FM and I was like oh I'll I'll take this now and then I can just get on with the show and I took it and it was in this shitty grotty orty oh. toilet and it was positive. And I was like, ah! like, what do I do now? This wasn't supposed to happen. No, exactly. But then I couldn't be alone with it. So I was like, unfortunately, I rang Gordon. I was like, are you still in, in work? Because I think it was like about six o'clock and he worked in RT as well, but like oh, in yeah. a different building, like on the other side of the campus. And I was like, are you still in work? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, will you just call over to Radio Center before you leave? Because I need, I just wanted to show you something. I can't even remember. Like I made up an excuse because, you know, but anyway, then he arrived and I came outside Radio Center and I was like, so, um, and showed him the test and he was like, what? And I was like, I know. And the two of us were just like, oh my God, 
like you kind of can't take it in so I can kind of understand that like she might have casually taken a test that like actually she didn't think was going to be positive and then just yeah. being like so explosively 24 year old Lee excited she's also not like living in the world of the World Cup she's in America World Cup is not such a big deal there she's yeah. on her own tour she has her own world going on like you can't tell anyone she's with because imagine you're in a band with the world at your feet you're not going to tell your manager and you're not going to tell your well maybe you would I don't know but mm. like Maybe she was, maybe. Not for a while, you would think. Maybe the only person she told straight away was him. Probably. Probably. 24. 24. 24. I would have done something fucking stupid around that at 24. I probably would have, you know, like, definitely told him. You know what I mean? Like, when you're in your 30s, you're like, oh, not a wise move. But it's easy to say that. No, exactly. Exactly. It's so easy now to be like, oh, that was silly. But anyway, and she also, I think her point was, she was like, we wanted this. Like, I knew he was going to be happy. It wasn't going to be bad news for him that was going to, like, fuck him up. Like, he was going to be happy about this. Um, And, you know, he played fine. He just unfortunately kicked someone and got a red card. Which And he kicked someone who really mean played up to it. How did they, how did they get him to do like how much did they how much did they pay like they got him to admit that he was a rogue in the whole thing I I actually loved him I thought he was so <laughs> gas <laughs> he's he there just, like fixing his hair smiling <laughs> and he's like yeah I just thought I'd rile him up and see how he reacted and then that's what happened and it like ruined his life for a few years for yeah but I thought it was good that you know when they said do you think he deserved a red card and he was like absolutely not like no I don't but what's he supposed to do like if the referee you know red cards and that's just that's how it goes like you can't yeah. you can't you know do anything about that um so obviously David and Victoria, we see that they're completely in love. Like it's 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 palpable. Like you can feel it. You can feel that yes. they're mad about each other. But of course, there was a dark period in their romantic life. Um, the Rebecca Lou's era, even though it's not actually she's not actually named or identified in the documentary, which I thought was interesting. They just mm-hmm. kind of refer to a time where there was a story that David had been unfaithful. Yeah, and he doesn't deny it. Unfaithful. Yeah. They just said, oh, this stuff came out. He didn't deny it. But I also think like, this one of my friends who works in PR in New York always says this, don't let it die either. You know, mm. don't let it, like, don't, if you, if it, if you deny it dies out, people will have an interest if they're asking. Do that kind of way, like, because I, we were talking about a different thing. Mm. I think it was actually with Kyla Mauricio. And he was saying like, why people sometimes won't, because I was like, why would you not just say like, it's not happening with mm. Morgan Wade? Because it keeps it mm. alive. Because mm. people who are interested stay interested. But I think, like, Rebecca Lou's monetized something, you know, devastating for their marriage so much at the time. She made a career from it. I remember she did. The time she was TV shows. There was this thing with the pig. She was on like, I'm a Celeb. Like, mm. Mm. And I think maybe mentioning her would have been like, we don't want to ignite that again. Yeah. I would you know? say that that's exactly what it was. I have no issue with them not mentioning her. I think it's better not to. Um, You know, I kind of think it's a shame that if he did it, he didn't just like actually own up to it. But what he Mm -hmm. did was talk about how difficult it was to see his wife hurt. You know, you could see that it was a very difficult time for both of them. And I kind of think because he does say, but that's our private life. Like, I kind of think it's okay for them to have limits. Like, I see people giving out about this documentary because they're like, oh, it's all tightly controlled. And it's like, yeah, bitch, you don't get the access that they got without it being tightly controlled. Like, if you want a salacious no holds barred all the dirty details documentary you're not going to get any of those people in it like that's never so it's either one or the other so if you want access to the people you're going to
going to be hearing the story from their perspective. That's how it's going to go. Like, so I didn't have any issue with that. I had no problem with them drawing a line. I was glad that they did acknowledge it and say it was like an incredibly difficult time for them. And I have to say, I really like... I'm not saying that everybody should stay with someone who's unfaithful at all, but they obviously, Victoria obviously felt like it was worth getting through that, whatever it is that happened. And they Mm. seem really happy now. Yeah. And like, there are couples who do move past it because I do think like, you know, it it can be sometimes an affair or cheating can be a symptom of something else. And if you cure the symptom, also it can be a, a symptom that your husband's a fucking arsehole yes and just likes to push the big red button he shouldn't push yeah and, and there's no curing stuff. that <laughs> exactly I have ex-boyfriends like that where it's like mm. why did you do it I just didn't I just you know yeah because I it. could yeah yeah or it's also like I didn't want to feel like I was under control you know that kind of way mm-hmm. like I used to have an ex-boyfriend always say that and um it's just kind of like that's not going to change but if it's the symptom of something and I think as well like you're dead on like they they of course have boundaries and you discretion is for kind of the elite kind of in this kind of media so like basically those footballers who are in the elite are going to have discretion around certain parts of their life right it's not like they've done like a lot of reality tv or something where they're they're passing you know cameras 24 7 and you feel like you know them you know that Mm. kind of way I think like with them they were always people who came up to the cameras gave us everything gave us outfits gave us their wedding yeah but everything they've given us before has been controlled. Yeah. So why would the documentary be? We, I know them as people who only come in their best. Yeah. You know, when is Victoria sat around in a tracksuit pants, eating a bag of crisps, going, no. I'm wrecked. You know what I mean? Yeah, certainly not what we've seen. And I think mm. it's it's telling that, and look, you know, Rebecca Lewis can do whatever she wants. She's every right to do whatever she wants, but she has been talking and she's taken this opportunity to come out and talk about it again. And, you know. Has she? Oh my yeah. God, I haven't. Yeah, uh, calls out David Beckham for making himself the victim um, over their alleged affair in Netflix docuseries saying he needs to take responsibility. It's all poor me. She did a video interview with the Daily Mail um, and basically like, you know, says that like Victoria deserves better, all that kind of stuff. And um, she says that it's suggested in the documentary that that Rebecca Luz was the one who made Victoria suffer. I don't think it would that was suggested at all. I always felt like it with the general consensus with the there was there was two of them in it, you know, yeah. that kind of way. Like <clears throat> the thing about Rebecca Lee's that I was just a bit like the taking it public and monetizing it. Yeah. When when you made the agreement with a married person to be rattling them, you basically made the agreement that your your their secret is safe with you. Yeah. You know? So like to kind of like go back on that and then become so public with the affair. Like, I think that's kind of doing somebody dirty, whatever. Like, they're both mm. bad for having the affair. But I do think, like, you know, that was what people were frowning upon rather than, like, she's the other woman. I'm sure there was that. But I know in certain Well, I just think had- also, like, you know, yes, obviously, the person who is married to the person has more of a responsibility. But if yeah. you knowingly have an affair with someone who's in a relationship, you also know what you're doing you know what I mean you're not kids like she was working with them she didn't meet him on a night out there's photographs of them together of Victoria and her together with the kids no yes I just saw one like oh god so like you know sorry babe you don't get off scot-free do you know what I mean you were two adults 
you knew what you were doing. Like you are not a victim in this either. Like yeah. I think that's two of the minutes. Yeah, it's frustrating. Um, and you know, I'm just reading like what it is that David says in the documentary is uh, I don't know how we got through it. In all honesty, Victoria is everything to me. To see her hurt was incredibly difficult. But we're fighters, and at the time we needed to fight for each other. We needed to fight for our family, and what we had was worth fighting for. Like to me, that is not putting the blame on anybody else. That is. That is as much of an acknowledgement as I think we're ever going to get from them about oh, what happened. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And, and it, you know, it isn't really any of our business. I'm glad they acknowledged it at all, to be honest. Um, yeah. I didn't think they were going to because it was shot so well and the light was so nice that was being shot on him. I was surprised it came up. Yeah, yeah. What did you think of the fashion? Like... I like this is literally why I've started watching Sex and the City from series one. Mm. So I'm off. <coughs> like it just I don't know what it is, the nostalgia of it. Like it we would see it only in a magazine. It wasn't on screens that I like ate through this. It was like I would see it in print, mm. which is like I think things go into your head differently in print and in a magazine mm. and like, you know, and then um like just it just brought up so many memories and also the hairstyles and David Beckham, like the fashion point of view of that. Yeah. Sorry, like, did I have any hormones in me at all? Why was I not mad about him when he shaved his head? When he shaved like, his head, he was beautiful. I yelped when he came onto the screen. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? And I, I literally like let out this noise that I was like, what, like, what was I doing at the time? Like, I was like, literally like, what was that year? What was that year? But um, one of my good friends, he always says, you think it's David Beckham, it's Victoria. Yeah. She's all of the styling. Oh, she, yeah. And she, saying, oh, she, you can't like, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make a drink. He obviously wants to do it. And like, yeah. like it's all her. He was so mad about her and he would do anything like making her, like her going, I'd love to see your head shaved. He's like, why not? Yeah. You're not going to wait. Well, sure. He, he's, he even says before he goes out to announce uh, the birth of Brooklyn, he asks her to do his hair. <laughs> And he's like, I don't think she's very impressed because she's like there having just birthed a baby. But like, I think that says it all. Like she's in charge of that hair. Yeah. yeah. And she's trusted, but she does have an exceptional taste level. Yeah. Like, she does. Like even her looks in her kind of interview segments, like it's all crisp white shirts, beautifully tailored jeans, like very classy, clean um, VB yeah. style. I love it. It looks comfy in a like. She didn't. She wouldn't show up in like a trouser suit in her country home. She's like, I'm in denim and mm. I'm in you know, that mm. kind of way. And then, but speaking in it, actually, his wardrobe drove me crazy because he, for someone who is so particular about the way his wardrobe is laid out, he hangs his knitwear like well, that stretch. That stretches your knitwear really badly. I couldn't believe it. I was like, no. This is, I love this. This is exactly your area of expertise. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, hang the t-shirts because then you don't get the crease and you don't snap the fibres. Roll or fold the knitwear. What did you think about the wardrobe and his general kind of intense perfectionist like tendencies? It seems like it brings him so much joy. Mm. And he also is someone who has amassed a lot of wealth. So he has space in his life for those things to soothe him. Yeah. And it just really struck a chord with me that there's a lot of people who don't have the wealth, don't have the time and don't have the understanding of people around them. Yeah. To Like they would feel really relaxed by having everything in lines and organized. Yeah. And I think it, it definitely is something that soothes him. Yeah. But I was thinking like, oh my God, so many, because he has come out before saying that there is like he is been not diagnosed with something but I remember him saying I think it was OCD that he said where he 
there like he knows it's there mm. and that's what he does to soothe himself and I was just thinking when I was watching it I was like gosh like this is what it's like when a millionaire yeah. you know is able to soothe themselves by having everything yeah. really particular you know yeah um but I just thought it just made him he just seemed really happy and content in it yeah and I just thought imagine like corners of your house doing that for you go yeah. for it yeah imagine oh. the space I know oh. a whole walk-in wardrobe like a whole room it wasn't even a walk-in wardrobe it was a, no. it was a bedroom I know and then his rail of outfits for the week that he has picked out that are you know perfectly spaced like I remember working in retail and you'd be like trying to space out the hangers beautifully I mean his his life is a shop basically it is yeah aesthetic I, and it's like a working kitchen that you do recipes in in his kitchen yeah. even though no one sees it other than this documentary yeah incredible and, and I mean even t- toward the end when we get to see him with the family kind of out the back in his gorgeous barbecue space or whatever and I love that they lingered on him cleaning kind of afterwards after they'd had their family time because that is obviously him like it feels authentic Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Now it is time to talk celebs. This week we have a lot to talk about in the Britney Spears camp. James O'Hagan, LGBTQ activist, is with me. He has finished the Britney book, uh, so we're going to discuss that. We're also going to talk about the roller coaster that the people of Fermoy have been on over the course of the last week or so. James O'Hagan, what a pleasure it is to have you back on the podcast. And I feel like the stories really like lent themselves to you this week like as I was putting them together I was like thank god it's James these are exactly the right stories to talk to I feel I also feel connected very connected (laughs) misogyny the patriarchy fat phobia I'm glad that these are the things that make you think of me (laughs) what more could we want (coughs) oh excuse me Okay, well, let's get into it. Um, And we're going to start with Britney Spears, obviously. I think last week on the podcast, we were saying we kind of can't believe the book is happening. Now the book has happened. The book is out in the world. I have started it. Have you started it? What's what's going on? What's your feeling on the Britney book? I I, like so I I have never kind of pressed purchase on a a book faster than Mm. this because I was just so 
And yeah, so I have not just, I have not just bought it. I have not just started it. I have finished. You have? <laughs> wow. Did you yes. audiobook no, or? Physical? I did audiobook. Yeah. No, I could, and I, I was listening to it away while I was working, but like I, I, I got to places where I was having to literally stop and listen to take yeah. it in. Because I am a big fan of the like kind of, you know, trashy celeb memoir and the kind okay. of, you know, like, I love a bit of that. Mm. And this is not what we got from the Britney memoir. It was like I, the, the Guardian described it as a stinging rebuke to the the sort of the circumstances that she had found herself in. And that is absolutely what it was. Yeah. It was just remarkable kind of because we, we all remember Britney's career. We all remember the the sort of the beginning of it back in the late 90s and that kind of moment where she was the princess of pop and then yeah. how it turned so sour so fast. Yeah. And we only saw it from the story that was presented to us yeah. from the kind of, you know, the, the Justin Timberlake is this sort of white saviour who mm-hmm. deserves better than this awful harlot. Yeah. This sort of, you know, the, the breakdowns, the meltdowns. And, you know, kind of then, oh, thank God. I remember even thinking at the beginning of the conservative show, thank, thank God someone is taking responsibility for this woman. Mm. But now you just, you get her side of the story laid out so clearly, mm. so rawly. And it just, and so like, so she she like threads this like beautiful narrative of how coming from a broken home set her up in a way where she was never able to trust or rely on the people or ended up trusting on people who, who were, were not right for her to trust and how yeah. she seems to have so much compassion and so much kind of empathy for people Mm. but also a lot of anger yeah and I'm not surprised yeah I like I've only started it but I was struck um because I remember the first time I heard about Britney Spears I was was I even 16 um I was 15 or 16 because we are basically the same age me and Britney Spears and I was in it was I spent one year living in England in between living in America and living in Ireland and there was a girl in my year called Sarah Dove who was very cool and she was going to be a pop star that was her whole thing I'm going to be a pop star I'm going to be a pop star and I remember her walking into our form room that'll tell you I was in England and saying oh my god have you heard about this girl she had like one one, she had a radio she used to carry around with her and she had one little earphone in her ear and she was like have you heard about this girl she's only 16 like this song and she was like it's going to be massive she's going to be massive blah 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 and and it was Britney Spears and it was Baby One More Time. And I, I've always remembered that moment because she was massive. And I mean, how often yeah. do you have those where you're like, so she's going to be massive. And she absolutely was. But because she was the same age as us, we were like, wow, she, you know, she has this big glamorous career. And at the time, alcoholism was like a very big thing in my life, in my family, in my home life. Yeah. And like now listening to Britney's story you know that like there was alcoholism in her house and that was something that she was living with and I was like I remember at the time thinking this person has a perfect life and now she's like you know she's got a perfect body and she's perfectly beautiful and she has her perfect career and everything's just perfect and my life is shit (laughs) and as it turns out no we were kind of you know in in that one way similar and I think that's it. it you know the humanization of her finally at last people are seeing that she is a person yeah, this is exactly it. And I think it's that she has 
for years other people have capitalized on her and and like almost like sold her for parts over the course of the many years like people who she should be able to rely on and this is something I think she comes back again and again throughout the book is this idea that there are people in your life you should be able to rely on for unconditional love and support and at every single turn those people have sort of used her name used her fame used her talent and her Mm. skills in a in order to to capitalize for themselves and have taken absolutely no care with her and how she is and sort of mm-hmm. how she feels. And I mean, I actually like my sort of early memories of of Britney would be very similar to, to you in that way yeah. of this kind of like this this person who just exploded. And it was just this idea of this like and I think a lot of it was the marketing behind it, this idea of this like, you know, this, you know, virginal, pure yeah. kind of like absolutely just like, you know, emanating light, goodness. And and they sort of like, you know, completely dehumanized in a way because you're just seeing a collection of these kind of like purity based mm. uh, kind of um, adjectives, whatever. And it is interesting kind of listening to her and seeing a lot of, I, I also experienced alcoholism in my home growing up yeah. and seeing, hearing a lot of the parallels kind of like really understanding and actually being able to relate kind of on a, on a visceral level to some yeah. of how she described those kind of like earlier, uh, those earlier moments in her life. It's yeah. sort of like it, it, it just, it, it completely flips the script for how you look at her. And it just, I mean, my heart just goes out to her. Like yeah. no amount of money on this planet would make me want to, to to step into her shoes and then you hear like awful stories like, well not even awful stories compared to some of the terrible things, but like how she would like one of the most famous people in the world, one of the richest people in the planet, like, yet she wasn't even able to go out and, like, buy dinner for her friends. Yeah. And it's like, this is just horrific. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to reading the rest of the book. And I think it's good that, like, because obviously we got some kind of salacious stories about Justin Timberlake and all the rest and, you know, uh, bits and pieces over the last couple of weeks but I'm glad that the overwhelming feeling that seems to be coming out from people who have already finished the book is this empathy for her this humanity and um, appreciation of the fact that her story is so unfair and that she deserves better than what she has been given yeah no, a- absolutely. And I, I do think like, I mean, it, it's it's. I think that over the last, particularly the last 10 to 15 years, it's really become apparent that Justin Timberlake is a massive prick. So it is, it is nice. not Not has a massive prick, just saying. Not that we no, would body no. shame. And there as we is... said last week, it's not the size of the boat, it's the motion of the ocean. Like absolutely exactly. nothing wrong. Yes. But no, it, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever about his trouser snake, uh, it is it is his character we are questioning here. Yeah. Uh, but like it, it it was it was also I suppose you know to see the fact that obviously the men that she has chosen to have in her life have just capitalized on her like Justin Timberlake, like Kevin yeah. Federline, yeah. the the and you know like Hissam, uh, her her recently divorced uh, ex husband, people who maybe don't have the best intentions around her. A couple of nice points that I I did kind of really like within the book was when she she gave a, a sort of a touching. Um, kind of a message to those who had, had supported her through the, the Free Britney movement and said, mm. if you stood up with me when I couldn't stand up for myself from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And mm. she did give a call out to her, to the LGBTQIA plus community who supported her and said, for me, it's all about love, unconditional love. So it's just nice to see, I suppose, you're kind of getting to actually personally connect with this individual that has been held yeah. so far from you in this glass cage and to see that she understood 
the support that she was getting and maybe she sees that now and hopefully that that's a bit of a mm. as if that that's like that that's that that compassion and empathy that was shown for her is something that will help her like rebuild yeah well and and i think one of the other things that came out this week which is you know really not such a big deal but is the fact that she was in like the final four final three for the lead role in the notebook and her uh audition has been going viral everybody's been watching it and i the thing that struck me watching that was like you know she is so talented like i i actually loved crossroads the film (laughs) <laughs> I thought she was good in it. Like she can act, you know, maybe she's not the, she's not Meryl Streep, but like she can act. She can, you know, musically, obviously she's very talented and yeah. all of that talent kind of got lost, I think, along the way because of the way she was being treated. And I thought it was interesting even the way she was saying that she intentionally was like underperforming at, you know, gigs in recent years because yes. that was her only way of rebelling. No, completely. And I, 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 that, and I mean, I, I feel, I almost feel like I need, I, I need to write her an apology card for the fact that I went to see her when she performed at, at Brighton Pride. Because, but you could see the fire wasn't behind her eyes. She was absolutely checked out. Yeah. But that, you're right about that, that, um, that Notebook audition, and that you watch this person and they're present, they're like, I don't know, just performing with a huge amount of rawness, really throwing themselves, but really trying. I also really enjoyed Crossroads, and I think that Crossroads reception was based on the fact that people at that moment want didn't want the the sort of male dominated industry didn't want or didn't see value in things that yeah. were made explicitly for and by women. Yes. And so therefore it was undermined at every single turn. Yeah. And, you know, of course, it's like it is it is a silly movie about teenage girls. It's a coming of age story. Those are never kind of, you know, Oscar fodder. That's not what it was meant to be. No. It wasn't. Do you know that? Do you know that SNL skit with with um, Emily or Emma, Emma Blunt? I can't remember which one it is. The one that is like, it's not for you. Yeah. It's not for you. It's <laughs> yeah. like this is kind of like what you want to scream at those people like this wasn't for you yeah and it was pe- the people who wanted it or the people who it was for never get anything yeah so let us enjoy it uh, now on the notebook thing i'm glad she didn't get it because i do think that she would have like unbalanced that film in a way because yeah. she was so famous and, and i think that ryan gosling and, and rachel mcadams kind of together as two kind of relatively unknown uh, individuals kind of probably brought more like it it felt more like an undiscovered gem yeah it had its own identity and it would have just been a britney spears movie if she had been in it yeah exactly but it was it was very very good yeah i have to say her her audition surprised me yeah yeah she's she's great i hope she gets to like you know rekindle her relationship with her talent after this Yes, absolutely. Okay, let's and talk a bit, and a bit more music as well. Would yes. be nice. We need her to give like an absolute banger of an of a comeback album. Yeah, if she wants to. Uh, if she wants to. If she wants yes. to on if her terms. To. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt was uh, uh, much talked about this week because a clip of her from about eleven years ago on Jonathan Ross resurfaced. Yeah, so this was a an interview from around the time that she was she 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 was in that movie Looper. She was on the couch chatting to him about kind of life in America. He brought up chilies. Uh, they were talking about chilies. He brought up the portion sizes in chilies and made sort of a reference to perhaps that's why Americans are are, are larger. Yeah. And then she continued her story that she had been telling prior, but added a completely unnecessary additional detail about the the waitress's size and about the 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 fact that the and a gag about the waitress getting free food. Classic fat phobia, absolutely, completely, just the sort of humour that is sort of to be expected about and and and, and uh, directed at fat people over life. It's completely gross and, and, and unnecessary and totally uncalled for, but also 
let's not pretend it wasn't entirely the way things were done at the time. Yes, like exactly. It is, it's like, like if you were like, you know, kind of like clutching your pearls and, and whatever and pretending like, you know, oh, this is absolutely appalling. She needs to. It's like, no, literally tune into any late night talk show at that point and you would be getting almost exactly the same thing. Well, Look exactly. at any of the magazines or, that would have been out at the time and the fat shaming, the body shaming. the women. This is like this is just an example of how perhaps we have moved on to a small extent yeah. now. From yeah. the, the way in which fat people are 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 talked about, are perceived, are seen within the media. Like yeah. now a way now a, a a performer doing something like that on a show wouldn't would would probably in the moment get sort of given some sort of like very kind of, you know, wouldn't yeah. hold the pants. Well that was the not- thing for me, and I made a video about this and it's been fucking played 130,000 times or something on TikTok so the comments you can as you can imagine are horrific but like I said this exact thing I was like look this is she is a symptom or she is a product of the culture that she was in at the time where it was completely normal and like this didn't go viral then and wasn't much talked about then because it was completely normal to make these kind of comments and the fact that it is remarkable now and that it has gone viral and that people are horrified is a sign of the progress that we've made to a certain extent yeah. I mean obviously you only need to look at the comments on that TikTok to know that we have a lot, oh, w- w- a lot further to go but like you know she has apologized and said you know she says my jaw was on the floor watching this clip from 12 years ago I'm appalled that I would say something so insensitive hurtful and unrelated to whatever story I was trying to tell on a talk show I've always considered myself someone who wouldn't dream of upsetting anyone so whatever possessed me to say something like anything like this in that moment is unrecognizable to me or anything I stand for and yet it happened and I said it and I'm so sorry for any hurt I caused I was absolutely old enough to know better like in my opinion you can't ask for more from an apology no I, th- I think that was like a really perfect apology because it's kind of like owning the fact that this is something that you did saying kind of it's not something that I would ever try to but I think it also speaks to the fact that I would say that there fat phobia as a, a sort of like fatness as the butt of a joke yeah. uh, is and just is kind of like a, an unquestionable part of the way that comedy works that humor works people will like pepper stories that maybe aren't quite as interesting or anecdotes aren't quite with like the addition of a fat body in order to like add a bit of humor or gag yeah it's just part of the way that fatness is perceived in the world and you know it has gotten marginally better now but it certainly hasn't improved like completely like there's still tiktok influencers filming bigger body people in the gym as a joke if you look at some of say the reaction online to the likes of kerry and jenkin in the big brother house and see some of the comments comments on the 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 video that you would have shared about Mm -hmm. this you know i mean i had an experience over pride where i was just sort of like walking down the road as a fat man wearing a sort of a, a loud outfit and was approached by two separate individuals to like just mock my body like yeah. it is it is just part of being fat in the world yeah. and it like it's it's it, and I, I mean I'm glad that people seem so shocked at this particularly people who aren't in fat bodies and yeah. haven't had the fat experience yeah, yeah, because hopefully yeah. now they can start looking more broadly at like okay well if we're appalled at this clip from 12 years ago let's check the temperature now and yeah see totally I thought I thought the exact same and like I also felt that you know the thing is when like at the time I was like the difference is now everyone's appalled by this everybody's horrified back then it was just people like us watching yeah. it 
internalizing it and not saying anything and just taking this kind of abuse and disdain and kind of fat phobia we have a word for it now we didn't have a word for it there mm-hmm. as like this is what I deserve and this is the way that the world is and I am horrible I deserve to be the butt of the joke um completely yeah 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 no it, it, yeah absolutely and I think it, it, it's that like the damage done to people by this sort of thing over the years is is absolutely enormous and it's great that we are moving on but I think that we still have a, a long way to go yeah a lot done a lot more to do um, exactly okay let's move on I, I found this wild so Alison Hammond obviously presenter of This Morning also presenter of Great British Bake Off now um, during the week a, a Twitter person um, went online to take issue with Alison's watch yes I love watching Alison Hammond, the tweet read, but with the cost of living affecting us all, I find it uncomfortable seeing her wearing what looks like a Rolex. Grow up. Like, honestly, grow up. Alison <laughs> came back with a, a rebuke. I wish it's actually a Michael Kors watch. My late mum bought it for me and it cost her £185 of her hard-earned money. It means more than any Rolex ever could. You're right. Sorry you felt uncomfortable. I, I just, like... This is wild. And, you know, I'm actually really delighted that Alison Hammond replied to this because it is the sort of ridiculous thing, opinion that people express on the internet with a feeling of like, absolute entitlement to tag a person in without yeah. sin. Like, you know, Alison Hammond was incredibly close to her mother. She died in 2020 after a long fight with with with, with lung and liver cancer. Th- this watch is, you know, as she said, something that was um was, you know, very, very personal to her. It was a gift from her mother. But even before that, like I feel uncomfortable because I saw what might have been an expensive watch on the television while I was watching this morning. It's yeah. like, how about getting uncomfortable because of like the actual sort of poverty gap that exists, yeah. you know? Like if you're so agitated about like a watch Alison Hammond, I hope you were also bringing that activism into spaces of like trying to adjust a gender pay gap, trying to ensure that like a proper social network or social um, net is set up for people who may fall through. But yeah, I, I thought it was wild. Yeah. Absolutely wild. Like such, I mean, the thing is, even if she did have like a Rolex, like, yes, there is not equality in the world. Like, different people have different things. Like James Kavanagh did a tweet where he was like, you know, there are people who don't have homes who might be uncomfortable, who might feel uncomfortable watching you through the window, watching your TV in your comfy home. Like, it's just such a wild thing to do. I just it, 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 is exa- it is exactly, that is exactly it. It's like kind of, you know, and it's, there, there's always this kind of, you know, try, if you try and like parse these things out and race down to the kind of who is the person who is at the most extreme end of like the sort of the the chain of like you know of of um, not having or of uncomfortableness or whatever, it's like you, you have to accept the inequality that exists in the world and then try and change it. Not yeah. Message Alison Hammond giving out about the fact she might be wearing a Rolex. But honestly, honestly. <laughs> okay, and then finally, there was a bit of drama. Now there was a bit of oh. drama. On the Graham Norton show, the people of Fermoy were not happy. They were not. Last week or at some point in the last week when uh, Graham Norton had his red chair segment, a woman named Zoe, who had lived in Fermoy for 20 years, uh, came on and called Fermoy a horrible town and said it's got a bridge of people want to jump off it. So it was not the the the, the most um, probably not the 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 uh, the the way Fermoy would like to be to be represented on television. Yeah. But Graham came back this week with a, with a response. Last week there was someone on the red chair and and they were less than kind 
find about a town of Fermoy County, Cork in Ireland. Well, suffice to say, the people of Fermoy are not happy, so we would like to apologise. In fairness, I did defend Fermoy and say it was the home of the big pencil, but sadly, I must apologise again because apparently the giant pencil has been removed. On the upside, Fermoy did win cleanest town in Ireland 2007 and 2018, so I'd imagine it's still pretty clean. Big up Fermoy. And Noel McCarthy, the chair of Fermoy Tidy Towns and a Fine Gael councillor who evidently comes from the P.T. Barnum School of Public Relations, said no publicity is bad publicity. <laughs> but at the same time, we want to put the record straight. <laughs> they have issued a, a formal invitation to Graham Morton to visit the town of Fermoy. Of course Fermoy, they have. Um, and are glad that, that Zoe has been rebuked. Now, I didn't see this, so I don't know. Did she get to exit the red chair yeah. by, by walking or was she booted out of it? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it so much. It's so Irish. Like, it's it really so beautifully, is. beautifully Irish. Even the <laughs> bit about Graham Norton defending for Moy and saying it's got the big pencil, but then it turns out the big pencil is gone. <laughs> <laughs> It, yes, it really, it really is just a perfectly sums up an Irish story. It oh, is, it is amazing. I love I'm it sorry, so much. Zoe, that you didn't enjoy for yeah, me. Sorry, Zoe. It sounds like maybe there was something else going on in that time. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was trying to think last night. Like, is there places in this world that I have like a rational hatred from because of times in my life? And I'm like, yeah, there are. Yeah, but there it's are, because of what you were going through at the time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Zoe. Whatever you were going through for 20 years, it wasn't for Moy's fault. No, <laughs> no. Leave for Moy alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, James, thank you so much. Before you go, we have to tell the people about your new radio show. It's so I am I am so excited. Uh, so yes, just Two weeks ago, myself and the wonderful Podrick Wilson-McCarthy, who people will be familiar uh, from, and I say this with love, riding the coattails of the young grandmam lads all <laughs> over town. <laughs> that is how I'm familiar with them. That's so funny. No, no, no. I uh, have launched a radio show on uh, Dublin City FM called Curiosity, which is also available on all podcast apps straight afterwards. Essentially, it's kind of um, a space for us to, to, to talk about all things queer in the world. We have amazing guests. We have sort of wonderful, we catch up on like news relating to queerness that may not necessarily be uh, being uh, kind of uh, broadly spoken about and we have a wonderful segment called Reeling in the Queers where we take a different year every uh, every week and we kind of look into what was happening in queer news Ugh. and then we challenge we challenge each other to try and guess a particular song for the year it's very fun I would absolutely recommend go and have a listen I also would highly recommend obviously you know James already if you don't know Portrait he is so Funny. So funny. He is so, so funny. funny. Um, you guys are a great pair. The minute I heard about this combination, I was like, I am on board. So yeah, go and check <laughs> it out. Uh, James, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Any misogyny patriarchy. I, I mean, couldn't be happy. And for Moy. And for Moy. <laughs> what more could we ask for? <laughs> Now, my friends, it is just about time for me to go. Thank you so much for being with me. Um, I have no major recommendations this week, aside from I have been watching Winter House. The first episode of Winter House has come back. If you are someone who watches Bravo shows like Below Deck or 
Real Housewives or whatever, um, I would recommend Winter House. I think I've recommended it before, but this series has just started and it brings together people from lots of different Bravo shows. So there's uh, Vanderpump Rules, there's Below Deck people, there are Summer House people. It's a real mix. And the first episode was lots of fun and I think it's going to be more fun as the series goes on. Um, I do have a live show in Cork in February uh, for St. Bridget's Day, which I'm very much looking forward to. It's going to be a woman bonanza. A bonanza. Yes, that's what I said. Um, If you want to buy tickets, the link is in the show notes. Don't forget, I'm over on Patreon, giving you an extra episode every second week. And um, that's about it. I hope you have a wonderful week. If you don't, that's okay too. Put one foot in front of the other and we will get there together. Thank you to Acast and to all my contributors. I will talk to you next Friday. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.